This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. say you get the person out of the Bronx but you can't get the Bronx out of the person you know, only God can do that oh it's the Spanish man in me or it's the Latin me you know Italian in me you know <laughs> you're a Christian it's the Christ in you the Holy Spirit that should be in control and you need to be in control and so you should have to be self-controlled Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 Paul writes I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not That's if you walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Have you ever heard someone justify their bad behavior saying, that's just who I am? Pastor Eddie will challenge that idea today as he shows us that God is transforming each of us into the likeness of Jesus. He shares that nobody but Jesus is perfect, but as he makes us more like him, he will give us greater responsibilities and opportunities to serve. Jesus was the servant of all. And as we grow in faith, we will serve likewise. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Revelation chapter 12 as he continues his message, Qualifications of Deacons. One thing that God truly hates is when people slander others. Why? Because it doesn't come from the Spirit of God, but it comes from Satan himself. It comes from Satan himself. And God will one day soon, very soon, will do away with Satan, who is the accuser of God's people. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, and it says, here it is. All four names of the devil, just in case when someone reads the book of Revelation and gets to chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, John, the Holy Spirit inspired John to make sure you write all four names that Satan is known for. It says right here, number one, so the great dragon was cast out from heaven, the serpent of old in the garden called the devil and Satan who deceives the world. He has cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation is strength, and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Be careful in slandering. Saints, if you hear of anyone slandering, especially in the body of Christ, You know, with love, with love, be careful when you bring correction, you got to be ready to take correction yourself. But you find someone slandering someone, you know, rebuke them in love and show them the word of God and correct them. Say, listen, we shouldn't be talking about anybody like that. And be sure if they talk about other people that they most likely might be talking about you that way. But this is why we're here. We're here to encourage one another. This is what the body of Christ does. This is what we do. And do it out of love. And so a deacon's wife is to be reverent. Deacon's wife is, to be, is not to be slander, a slanderer. A deacon's wife is to be temperate, temperate. She must be telling no, self-control. Again, this applies for all Christians, but is expected for a deacon's wife. 
one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. All these things should, uh, these, all these fruits should be in the, the, the life of a believer. Self-control. You can't say, well, I couldn't control myself. Well, obviously, because you're in the flesh. If you're in the spirit, you'll be controlled. And you need to control yourself. That means you really need to spend time with the Lord. You know, people always, you know, use the excuse, well, I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> I'm from Harlem. And you always say, you get the person out of the Bronx, but you can't get the Bronx out of the person. You know, only God can do that. Oh, it's the Spanish man in me, or it's the Latin, you know, Italian in me. You know, <laughs> you're a Christian. It's the Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, that should be in control, and you need to be in control. And so you have to be self-controlled. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not, that's if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Fourth and finally, for the deacon's wife, she's to be faithful in all things. Read that again. She's to be faithful in all things. And what this is referring to is the things, faithful in all things that are seen and things that are not. Things that are seen and things that are not. Not only in church, but when you're not in church. Not only in front of people, but when you're alone. Now, back to the deacon, the ninth requirement for him in verse 12 says, let the deacon be the husband of one wife. And that is the same for the overseer, the bishop, the pastor. We saw in chapter 3, verse 2, a deacon must be the husband of one wife. And during this time in Ephesus, they had, there was a, a practice, a custom. You know, it's no different today as it was back in those days. They would have a wife home for the, for the children. They had a woman that they would walk around with to make themselves look like they're somebody, like an escort. And then they had another woman to, for pleasure. That was the practice during this time when Paul put pen to Pyrus, writing to Timothy in the, in the city of Ephesus. And he had the temple Diana. It was a perverted cult. And that was pushed in, this, the practice. But that's not what Paul is saying here, even though, you know, it was practiced. Only the first, there are three views, and we looked at them last time. But for the sake of our study this morning, we'll look at them again. The first view is that the pastor must be married. Now, we know for practical reasons, that's good. Unless they're in celibacy, they don't, they don't have no desire to be married. Not every man has that gift, and not every woman has that gift. The Bible says better to marry than to burn, <laughs> right? But he, for practical reasons, important for counseling. Uh, so if he counsels a, a woman, like for me, I don't counsel women alone, if a woman needs counseling, my wife will be with me, or the husband will be, or there'll be someone else. I don't counsel women alone. And it's important because, you know, the enemy is bad, or there could be gossip. I saw the pastor with this blonde in the diner, you know? It's not his wife. For practical reasons, it's good, so they won't fall into sin. The second view is the pastor's to have only one wife ever. So once they're divorced, oh, sorry. You know, divorce, everybody's taboo. Yes, it's wrong. God hates divorce. But we find in scripture that Jesus himself allowed divorce for the innocent party. For the innocent party. 
And we find in scripture, though he hates, he allowed it to protect the innocent. For unfaithfulness, you could read this in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, but for unfaithfulness, yes. For death, obviously. In Romans chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a spouse abandonment. The spouse just left and for years never came back. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So the Bible does allow, because the Bible, God knows that two people getting together, uh, two infallible people, you know, they're not perfect. And though God hates divorce, people make it seem like it's the ultimate sin, the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the sin you never ask for forgiveness for. (laughs) It's to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In other words, to say, I don't want Jesus You don't want Jesus. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. So therefore, that's the ultimate sin. God hates divorce. The third view, and I think this is what it's talking about, is not to practice polygamy. Not to practice polygamy. So that's, he's to be a husband. Verse 12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. Here's the 10th requirement, ruling their children and their own houses well. So if you can't rule and govern your own home, you can't bring your house in order, how can you bring order in the house of God? You need to practice home. Because let me tell you, the home was before the church. The home started in Genesis family before the church and the ministry. And so you need to get that right. Husbands and wives get together and, and love one another, reconcile, raise your children in the ways of the Lord, bring order in your house. So when you invite people in the house, your kid is not in the chandelier, hanging from the chandelier. I've been to homes where the kids were the boss. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for them. And I had to pull this man from the side and said, listen, I love you, brother, but you're not doing your child a favor. You need to discipline the child. I'm not saying child abuse. Say discipline the child. They need to know when you say no, it's no. Don't count to three because when they're going to stop at two and a half. Don't make empty threats. Don't allow them to have the, the attitude needs to change too. You know, you can have a kid and standing on a chair. The mother say, sit down, junior. No, sit down. I'm going to count to three. And he sits down, but inside he's standing up. That needs to be checked. The attitude is bad. You need to rule the house. A deacon must rule his house well, providing for his family, the spiritual needs as well. With that said, we all know there's no such thing as a perfect family, right? Who has a perfect family? I'm not saying you love your family. Because you, you, you love them so much, they're perfect. Even though they robbed me, no such thing as a perfect family. And we knew that from the beginning, from the first family, Adam and Eve, their son Cain. There was murder in the first family. The Bible is filled with dysfunctional families. If people say, my family is a mess, hey, welcome to the club. Yeah, you read the Bible, it's filled with dysfunctional families. And just like there's no perfect family, there's no perfect church. And so we need to be careful with that. And so does it attend requirements for deacon. And again, some denominations, they 
um, give certain titles. They add titles that are not biblical. They give the biblical leaders that are mentioned in the scriptures different responsibilities. They change it around where the deacon is above the pastor or the board is above the pastor. The board is not biblical. We use a board for counseling, for wisdom. Among counsel, there's wisdom. But there is structure in the house of God. Now, here's the reward. You say, if the person, I feel bad for a deacon. So do I. I feel bad for a pastor. 16 requirements. But after giving 16 requirements, Paul didn't give a reward to the pastor. <laughs> he gave one here for the deacon. Look at verse 13. Here's the reward. He said, for those who have served well as deacon, here it is, obtain for themselves a good standing, number one, great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus, number two. Just by serving faithfully as a deacon, looking at the qualifications, being obedient to the word of God, being obedient to the Lord, serving faithfully in the house of God, there is reward. Number one, you will attain for yourself a good standing and respect among the people of God. That guy is always there serving. He's always serving, always doing things. But it's unto the Lord, not to man. Secondly, he will grow in his faith. He will grow in boldness. And we know that because we see that today, but also we saw it in, in Acts chapter 6 and in chapter 8. You remember Stephen and Philip? These two began serving tables. But because they were so faithful, they received their reward there in the beginning of the church. Both Stephen and Philip began to be used mightily by God. He, look what happened with Stephen. He began as a deacon. Look at what happened with Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. You mean that was that guy Stephen we saw a couple of years ago serving tables? Yeah. Wow. He was a mess. He had clothes were all dirty with food and everything, and... But now he's being used by God. What about Philip? Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verse 6, it says, And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Miracles. That's what happens. You know, you always start somewhere. You always start somewhere. No one starts from the top. Definitely that's not the way God does it. God shows partiality, shows favoritism to no one. It's not nepotism. Oh, oh, I know, don't worry, I got you. But I just gave my life to the Lord. Don't worry, I'm going to make you a deacon. And next year, I'm going to make you an elder. And then the year after that, in just two years, I'm going to send you out and be a pastor. Don't worry, I know you. Don't worry, you know me. It's okay. It's not the way it works. You work faithfully. You work faithfully in God, and these are your rewards. Sally, that's not the case. I've been in ministry so long, and I've seen a lot of elders, pastors, deacons, and all kinds of leaders that have fallen, disqualified themselves. It happens. It happens. Pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Pray for all that lead here in the church in Calvary Chapel and the other churches around, our neighboring churches. Pray for them. Pray for their leaders. Too many leaders are falling, are getting into the flesh. Junior and I came from the International Calvary Chapel Association conference just last month. And one of the things that stood out to me for 
the next couple of days. It was by it was a quote by I think Joe Foch. He said this: "There are many who start well, but only a few who finish well. Many start well, they do good, but they don't finish well. Leaders must stay the course; they must lead, run the race, and run for the prize." So. Verses 8 to 13, we saw the qualification of a deacon. That also includes the wife. And then now in verses 14 to 16, Paul's going to give us the mystery of godliness. Verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. It's not a free for all. So you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. That starts from the top all the way down from the bottom. Every single one of us. Why? Because it is the living God. He said, which is the church of the living God. We serve a living God. The pillar and ground of truth. This is where people get the truth. And so this, actually this verse, verse 15, is the key verse for the entire letter. He's writing, he said, this is how you should conduct yourself in the church. This is what a deacon is. This is what a bishop is. This is the way men should behave in the church. This is the way women should behave in the church. This is what women can do. This is what man can do. It's all in the scriptures. And what happened is the churches were, well, we're going to change that. That's just yesterday. You know, again, trying to change it to fit their denomination, their tradition. Verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Again, that mystery, but it's the re- revelation of Jesus Christ. It's known as the mystery for so many years, for thousands of years in the Old Testament. But it's known as that, but it's talking about Jesus Christ. He's been revealed. He said, God was manifested in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. Here's the mystery. He's going to define it for us. The reason why the churches that do well, pastor and leaders that do well, is not because of what they do. It's because of Jesus Christ. I'm not the smartest man on the planet. Trust me. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the pack or the sharpest tool in the shed. I am not. It's a scripture. God calls the foolish things, right? I am one of those foolish things that God calls. But it is the word of God. I'm not teaching about my life. I'm not giving you more 10 steps or better you. I'm reading the scripture. And that's what Paul is saying. Without controversy, it is not the pastor leader that makes this church alive, that makes things godly. But it's the mystery. And he, he describes that. He says, God was manifesting the flesh. John chapter, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning was the word. Capital W, because it's speaking of a person. The Word was with God. That's Jesus Christ, the Word, Logos, with God the Father. And the Word (laughs) was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. And then we get to verse 14 of chapter 1 in the same chapter. And the Word that was with God, that is God, became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, and beheld his glory, the glory as as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was God made in the flesh. Jesus was also justified in the spirit. Underline the word in, not by, because it's important. It makes a difference. He didn't, the Holy Spirit did not make him righteous. He was already righteous. The Holy Spirit just confirmed who he was. You understand? Jesus Christ was justified. His righteousness was confirmed by the spirit. He wasn't made righteous. Then he was seen by angels. 
Obviously, Jesus Christ created the angels. He was the one who created heaven and earth. Created angels are a created being, just like we are, but we came from Christ. But here's the thing. The angels were there with Christ in glory. They were there before Jesus left his throne to be born in the manger. So obviously, the angels saw Jesus before he was reincarnated, before he became man. He's 100% God, 100% man. However, when Jesus was here on earth, the Bible tells us that the angels ministered to him. They ministered. And you remember, after the temptation in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was in the world. What it says, that the angels, in Matthew chapter 4, the angels ministered minister to him. The angels ministered to him. They, they probably fed him. They brought him the water, whatever it is. And Luke chapter 22, it says that the angels ministered to him when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read that for homework. Next, now he's seen by angel, but he was preached among the Gentiles. He was preached among the Gentiles. As Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, just before he ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he said, but you, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jews, Gentiles, one in Christ. And then Jesus was believed on in the world. And we see that to this day. Almost 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was crucified, rose from the grave, ascended to be with the Father, the birth of the church with only 120 people. And now, here we are today, the church is still growing. Not the way God wanted. I mean, I hope we grow more. But it hasn't faded. Why? Because it's God is in control. It's God's grace. Then finally, he said, it was received up in glory. And we find that after Jesus was rose from the grave, the Bible tells us he spent 40 days walking around, just revealing himself. Listen, I'm the glorified Christ. Here I am, Thomas. <laughs> you know, look at the marks in my hand. And it tells us also that at one time, Jesus revealed himself to about 500 people. So before, after the resurrection, before he ascended to be with the Father, he spent 40 days. Now, I'm going to leave you with this in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, when he, speaking of Jesus, has spoken these things while they watch, he was taken up, and the cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These were angels. So the, angels, the disciples are looking at Jesus Wow, he's up in the cloud. Do you see him? No, I think that's it. He's up there. And all of a sudden, these two men in white apparel, they said in verse 11, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And that's going to be very soon. But you may not be here for the rapture. The Lord may just say, your time is up. Be ready. Be ready. Amen. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and practical advice that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. This book jumps into what it looks like to be a leader in the church. Paul also doesn't shy away from encouraging those who are young to run with zeal and not grow discouraged. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 
If you're facing opposition because of your age, be reminded that Timothy faced similar struggles and God used him mightily, just like he can use you too. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today. And we look forward to the next edition in the book of 1 Timothy on running the race.